Do you like candles? We all know that I love candles and I love the candles from Remy Moon. They are an Australian based small business and they make the best and most magical candles. All of their candles are made with high vibes, pure intentions, and each one is crafted with a little bit of Reiki healing that also suits the intention of the candle itself. All their candles are non-toxic and vegan, so they don't harm us or the animals. You can use the code SUBURBANWITCH for 15% off all of their products, and it's only for listeners of the Witch Talks podcast. Simply head to remymoon.com.au to get your candles now. Welcome to Witch Talks, the series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, professional tarot reader, astrologer, and witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Witch Talks podcast. It is I, Hannah the Suburban Witch, your host for this podcast. Before we dive on into today's episode, a couple of housekeeping things. The very first one is as of the 1st of June 2023, when this episode goes live, I have two classes this month. That's right, two classes with me. The very first one is an in-person class, so I'm sorry to everyone who doesn't live close to me, but if you do somehow live within driving distance or flying, if you're up for it, distance of Southeast Queensland, I will be hosting a tarot class on the 10th of June, which is a Saturday, and that is at Unearthed Crystals. It's an awesome, like warehouse filled with beautiful crystals. It's a really great location in Deebing Heights, which is in, in Southeast Queensland technically southwest of Brisbane. Now to purchase tickets to that, you're going to want to go to the Unearthed Crystals website. And of course, the link will be in the description box below. The second class though, is my candle magic class. And this one is virtual. So that means you can attend no matter where in the world you are. The time for that one is going to be 10 a.m. on Wednesday, the 21st of June. Now, if you can't make that live, you can always access the replay as well. And remember that's Australian Eastern Standard Time. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's gonna be a bit different. In EST, that would be 8 p.m. on Tuesday, the 20th of June. So if you wanna learn how to read the tarot like a pro or learn the ins and outs of candle witchery, then you are going to want those classes. Okay, let's jump into our listener segment with Hannah, help me. This question comes in from Abby, one of my Patreon supporters. And Abby asks, hey, Hannah, my question is about deities. It's a general curiosity question and not in any way knocking any other witch's practice. I'm truly, genuinely curious. How does one know if a deity is reaching out to them? Do you ask and see if they answer or do they reach out first? How do you know for sure that that's what it is and not something else or another sign per se? If it is something one hopes to do, how do you start? And then how do you know it's working? Again, I see a lot on social media, but it just baffles me on how. I don't know why this feels above my comprehension, but I would love to learn the answer. Well, Abby... Let me tell you what I know from my UPG, which is unverified personal gnosis for anyone wondering out there, which means this is based on my experiences and doesn't necessarily speak for other witches and people in the community. Firstly, I did have an episode with Ira Sanya Moon on working with deities, which I recommend you go and listen to. Secondly, 
I found this entire topic probably just as, hmm, just as difficult as you did. I had all of the same questions. So you are not alone in that. And I'm sure there are many people who feel the same, but there was a lot of hesitancy as well, which I think comes from religious trauma. I mean, thou shalt have no other idols before me. Kind of a big one. So I found it really, really difficult to move past that. When I first got into witchcraft, it was something I was like, no, I don't do data work. It's not my thing. I'm not doing it. Don't ask me about it. I don't know. And I was very clear with everyone when they would ask me questions like this. I was like, I don't know. I can't help you. Go talk to someone else. Because if I don't know something, I will not talk on it. And I will certainly not guide or teach other people on it because it's just not right to do that. However, I had that stance and it was pretty rigid stance for a while. Like, nope, deity works not for me. Done it once with Christianity. Not for me. Not for me. And then, and then something happened. For me personally, I noticed signs without seeking them. And they were so loud and obnoxiously obvious to me that I could not ignore them. If I wasn't already a witch who practiced a ton of divination, I may have not noticed it as much, but I work with ornithomancy, which is divination through birds. So I'm particularly on the lookout for bird signs and omens and things like that. And I noticed at one point, and this was, oh gosh, before I was pregnant? No. After I was pregnant? No, I can't remember. I just remember I was living in Victoria at the time. We were down in sale and I started to notice sacred ibises like everywhere. Now, for most of the world, they're called a sacred ibis and that's what I refer to them as because for me, that's respectful. However, for Australians, they're called bin chickens, (laughs) which is um, just the colloquial blah. It's just what they're called. They're bin chickens. Uh, If you don't know what a bin is, because that's also very Aussie. A trash can. Trash can chickens is what people call them. I don't. I think it, whilst it's funny, for me, they're quite sacred. And I don't mean I just saw them like, oh, look, there's a sacred ibis over there, right? And not every sacred ibis is going to be a sign. But when they started validating my magic for me, then I started to take notice. I'll give you one particular story. And I love this story because it really illustrates some really important stuff. And I'm sorry, these little segues at the starts of episodes. I know I'm making the episodes a little bit longer, but no one has complained. So I'm just going to keep doing them. I started a podcast because I talk. I'm a good talker. All right. So I, (laughs) this is a lesson in lots of different things. I went to a, ah, it was after I was pregnant. So I've only been working with deities for two years. Okay. So it's only, it's still new to me. Anyways, I went to a secondhand store a thrift shop, an op shop. And it was actually very heavily like antique furniture vibes in this shop. Uh, Cause we were in the area. It was, we lived in the, we were in the country. We were out in the middle of nowhere and we were bypassing through some town that had this really good like antique shop. And I thought, I really want to go in there. And Ben's like, my husband was like, absolutely not. I'm not getting the pram and trying to figure it out through that shop looks like it's just chock-a-block with antique I'm not doing it and I was like fine I just I just want can I just have like 20 minutes can I just check it out and make sure there's you know no really cool pieces of furniture that I'm missing out on because I haven't had a moment to myself to go and look at cool things for so long because I've been parenting and he was like you know what 
Toby was probably asleep or something. I don't know. I just remember the kids were in the car and he sat in the car and just waited for me. And I was like, sweet, cool. I'll just run in. I'll just run in. I'll be right back. And I ran in. I actually, had, I was having a bit of a fun time on Instagram. <laughs> Silly me. I was doing a little bit like what can, because I went in and I was like, oh, I want to feel what I can pick up from some of these items because I am a curious little witch and I like to test myself and my psychic abilities and all of that. And it's one of those things I do. I should have shielded better in hindsight, but I didn't because I was like, oh, let's find out. So I would basically take a photo of something and I would, I'd put it up on my Instagram story and I was like, what do you think? Does this have something attached to it or not? And I specifically picked like the really creepy looking like rocking horse, which I could tell instantly there was nothing with that, right? It's just a rocking horse. And I put that up and see, cause a lot of people were like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, no, no, this is fine. But then like, there'd be other benign things where I would, at the moment I would touch it with my hand. I was reading stuff, energy imprints, um, potentially things attached to it as well, in my opinion. And it was one of these items. And I actually didn't even photograph this one and put it up there because when I touched it, it was such a visceral response of like, oh, fuck, what did I do? Why did I do that? That was not clever, Hannah, because there was definitely something there. <laughs> and it was like, oh, hello, I see you. And anyway, so I just was like, oh, fine, quick, just do a quick little grounding, throw up a shield. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Whatever got back in the car there was no furniture that I wanted to purchase but I had a little fun 20 minutes or whatever as we we're in the car I started to get a headache and I was like mm, I think something's come with me and Ben even looked over he goes you didn't shield did you I was like mm, no I was having too much fun and so we get home and I was like all right I'm just gonna lie down and do a little like energy work on myself what I call psychic surgery so I lay down on my couch kids were probably napping or out or I don't know no one was near me I was on my couch in my living room and when I do my psychic surgery I envision that I am and I promise Abby I'm getting to the point of your question <laughs> I promise stories sometimes illustrate things the best right so I imagine that I am stepping out of my body and turning around and looking at my body it is a tricky visualization to hold it took practice to get to that point. I can do it very easily now. Then I look over my body and I basically cast like a net or a mesh strainer type of thing from my feet all the way up to my head and just see a anything that I'm picking up on and anything that might be not supposed to be there. Or sometimes if I have even aches and pains, I envision like pulling the pain up through my body. And sometimes it looks like little pebbles. Sometimes it looks like liquid. It's very interesting how things come through. And this time everything was fine until I got to my neck and it was like a thing. And this has become a pattern whenever something is attached to me I think is the best word I don't even know I don't even know what to call them entity it's not a ghost this is not like a spirit this is not a human spirit this is just something else anyway it was attached to the back of my neck and around over my head as well like I could see it um it was it didn't have a face I don't even know how to describe it black inky I often say I've had this similarly and I think I spoke I don't know if I spoke about it on the podcast but 
sort of like in some of the Studio Ghibli movies, like in House Moving Castle, those like inky black people that the Witch of the Waste has. Kind of like that. That's the best description I've got. Anyway, I saw this thing there. So I was like, okay, we're just going to remove you. All right. You're not supposed to be here. Take you away. And I'm just going to envision that I'm walking outside, digging a hole in my backyard. I'm going to place you in the earth for Mother Earth to recycle you and, and, or take you or put you back where you're supposed to be right and there was a bit of resistance to that so I even visualized putting a piece of like cardboard there and then a brick on top of the cardboard to like hold it down and secure it and seal it I'm reducing hand actions no one can see me anyways as I then finished I like brought myself back into my body came back into the room wiggled my toes opened my eyes sat up on the couch and when I sat up I was looking directly out into my backyard and on I shit you not on the exact spot in the yard this was a huge huge yard we had on the exact spot where I had mentally buried this thing stood a sacred ibis on top of that spot like even now I get full-blown shivers and it was staring at me and I was like a I've never seen one of these birds in my yard ever b we never saw any birds in that yard ever (laughs) there was like no bird activity around there we just lived around cow paddocks there's no birds c a b c was I doing one two three I don't know the third thing it was it was too eerily way too eerie to be anything but a sign that was like a hello I'm here. I'm helping. And immediately I was like, this is, this is something. After that, there were, there were multiple other things that happened around sacred ibises, but that was my, my huge wake up call to go. I actually think something is helping me. At this time I was writing books. I'd started writing children's books, like just recently. I was teaching the tarot. I was thinking up beautiful tarot deck ideas. I was thinking up beautiful book ideas. Like I was very much in that space. And when I realized it was like a moment where sometimes, you know, you might jump onto Google. Sometimes you already know. I already had an inkling at that point. I was like, I know there's a God of like writing stuff in Egypt. I wonder if that's the Ibis one. There is an Ibis God, isn't there? So I've jumped onto Google. Sure enough, the God Thoth is depicted with the head of an ibis and I was like oh he's the god of writing of magic the tarot he's a scribe he's credited with creating hieroglyphs and I work a lot with symbols and teaching symbolism as well there was a lot that was just speaking to me and everything I was going through and I was like wow has he been helping me this whole time (laughs) How long has he been hanging around trying to get my attention? And I realized that that the Thoth tarot deck had been calling to me for a while. Like I'd really wanted to get my hands on it, hadn't bought it. And when I made this connection, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy that tarot deck as soon as I see it next. Someone then sent me, one of my patron supporters saw I was buying that and sent me the book, the book of Thoth. And that was another like, okay, this, things are just sort of happening and coming to me. Cause I saw it within a week and I was like, I haven't seen this deck in ages. Now I have this deck. Oh my God, I've been talking to you guys for like 16 minutes. So for me in a nutshell, huge ass signs, right? But I got to make a choice. I got to choose. Do I want this? 
Do I want this relationship to happen? Because for me, it's a relationship. Yes, I did. I wanted to tap into his knowledge, his wisdom and utilize that. And when I did agree to do that, things like kicked off. They really kicked off. So for me, very, very positive experience. I've had to set a lot of boundaries because I learned in Christianity that having having this like 24-7 access to God or like people in the church will be like, oh, God helps me pick out my clothes in the morning. God's speaking to me right now. And I'm like, I just, I don't want that. That's not what I want this to be. I don't want to feel like you're making every decision for me. I don't want to feel like you're watching me all the time. I want us to have this like a relationship where I'm like, hey, do you want to hang out? Yeah, let's hang out on the dark moon and do some scrying together. Cool. Sweet. I'll see you there. That's what we do. So I then have developed this relationship and we've done things in our scrying sessions or meditations that then get validated in life. And that's how I know that it's working. So that's the how I started. I just started opening up a dialogue, meditation, um, scrying sessions for me personally that really worked for him as a deity. Others will do different ones. I know Amy Harvey from Rose Thorn Cottage. She has different oracle decks for different deities and will use them purely for their communication. That is another method you can use. Divination is fantastic for communicating with guides, deities, that sort of thing, spirits, ancestors, all of that. I know you can seek out a particular deity and request to work with them. And then I would also be looking for signs, omens, or use your divination to find out whether that is a good match, whether they agree to that, that sort of a thing. I don't believe we need to go into anything for life. Some people do. I just don't think that's necessary. Sometimes you might just call on them for assistance for one thing. Some people are funny about that, like a really transactional relationship. But I see it as kind of that's what life is like sometimes. Transact. I'll do this, you do that for me. We'll, we'll work it out, right? But with Thoth, it is a relationship with me now. And it's been two years of me working on that relationship. And the guidance that I've received has never been wrong. It's been fantastic. It's not like what you see on social media when they're like, oh my God, Loki was talking to me and he said this. And oh my gosh, he wanted to be like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend with me. No, don't watch those. <laughs> those, are, those are, no, don't do it. It's not going to be conversations that you're having like with a normal person, right? That's not how spirit work or spirit communication works at all. It's usually going to be communicating through symbols, divination, dreams, omens, that sort of a thing. Like, yes, you can get clear audience messages, but it's not going to be a back and forth for a whole conversation. So my overall advice to you is if you want to get into deity work, get into deity work. You can just start by either saying out loud, I am open to a relationship with a deity if one is waiting for me. You can look at things you might have been drawn to. Look, most kids maybe wanted to be an archaeologist in Egypt growing up. I really wanted to. I started teaching myself hieroglyphics when I was in grade five, like 11. And unfortunately, that dream was dashed when I think one of my parents said, oh, no, everything's been discovered. You can't discover anything. <laughs> Don't do that. I was like, oh, but it's always been fascinating. I mean, Egypt is fascinating in a lot of different ways. But look to what you find fascinating. Look to who you want to work with research them, read books on them, and you'll you'll know which ones you're like, man, I don't really feel for that. And ones that you're like, mm, yeah, I could totally do that. That one feels good. Trust yourself. All right, enough of my babbling. Let's get into today's episode. Now, if you are tuning in on YouTube, 
because I'm chatting with someone who is of Indigenous First Nations descent here in Australia, and we're talking something called women's business, it's culturally sensitive. And two things. Firstly, my guest did not want the video to be shown, which is totally fine. So there's no video aspect of this episode. So you'll just have the audio on YouTube as well as the audio places like Spotify and Apple, etc. Secondly, I just want to put a little small caveat for anyone who is trans or non-binary and doesn't associate or doesn't and isn't comfortable around a lot of the womb-centered magic talk. I know traditionally, and I have spoken about this frequently, a lot of womb-centered magic and magic books. Think things like Witch by Lisa Lister, which is a book I don't recommend for people. It can be very turfy trans-exclusionary radical feminism, right? Magic only comes from the womb, that sort of vibe. This is not that, okay? This episode is not that. We talk women's mysteries and that we use the word women a lot because culturally in the Indigenous First Nations culture, Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders here in Australia have women's business and men's business. And so this is slightly different, okay? It is really hard to bridge the nuance within this and I'm trying my best to do it but if you feel this might not be the right episode for you then by all means this is letting you know what it's going to be about okay we don't touch on men's magic or men's mysteries because that is not our place in this episode but I encourage if you have any questions if this raises anything for you or if you're not sure about something reach out to me or Danielle who my guest is we're both Totally happy to answer any of your questions and would love to open up the discussion further as well. All right, let's get into it. In this episode, I am chatting with the amazing Dr. Danielle Arabina. I've actually mentioned her a couple of times on this season already. She is a witch and a descendant of the Meriam Mare people in the Torres Strait. She is a medical doctor and a shamanic healer with a focus on holistic care for women and children's health, menstrual health, and Indigenous health. She is joining us via Zoom all the way from my home now, current hometown of Brisbane. She's really only an hour from me in real life. Hello, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you so much for having me here uh, today. I'm very excited um, to join you all. Yes, I'm excited to have you on. And I've been dying to get you on the podcast. So I'm really grateful that we we're able to set this up because I know you're super, super busy, uh, busy lady. But I want to start our chat by introducing um, you to the new thing that I'm doing on the show, which is I would like to pull a tarot card for you. Are you open to that? Yes, but can I do one thing first? Yeah. Can I do it? I'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. So I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're all meeting from all around the world. We all have First Nations um, elders and traditional custodians. So I'd like to extend a welcome um, to those elders past, present and emerging. Um, And I'd like to acknowledge all of yourself, Hannah, and all of your listeners elders and ancestors as well um, to that help bring them on this journey. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, some of our listeners over in other countries may not have heard an acknowledgement of country. Um, it is something that we do here in Australia. It's usually to open an event or if you're attending you know, classes, moon temples, sessions, those sorts of things, uh, they'll do it even in big government office 
sessions as well. So it's really great. It's a way to yeah. honor the traditional landowners and pay respects to the past and the ones coming through and the ones that are currently here today. So it's really, really yes. great. So I'd also like to send my um, you know, heartfelt greetings to any First Nations people that are joining from around the world as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, my dear, I've picked a tarot deck that I just feel vibes for you. Actually, okay. there are two that could, but this one is the one that I kind of just was like, oh, i got to use that one for you. It's called the Trick or Treat Tarot. Yes. So it's Halloween themed. Um, do you have Do you have a question or just wanting general guidance? What would you like to know? Oh, um, well, I would just like a... Um, a message from the ancestors. Message from the ancestors. Yeah, of course we can. What are the ancestors going to tell me? All right, what have your ancestors got to bring through for you? All right, and I think as well with doing... Oh, am I going to win $10 million? Either one. <laughs> tell me which one. I feel like the probability on that is a little bit... Uh, a little bit low. Let's have a look here. Now, for anyone listening, um, the reason that I'm doing the tarot stuff at the start is because I think sometimes it can be really helpful if you've a, never had a tarot reading to get a vibe for what it feels like, what it looks like. Um, B, if you're kind of new to it, it can give you an idea of what questions to ask and answer with it and how things can be interpreted. And if you're learning the cards, it's really, really great for you as well to get a little bit deeper into the cards, hearing other people talk about them. So Absolutely. First of all, this deck, um, the back of it, like the back of the cards are orange and purple with two little skulls. Very New yes. Orleans Mardi Gras vibes. It's very cool. I love, I'm obsessed with skulls. Love them. <laughs> awesome. So let's have a little look. If I had a crow tarot, I would have used that, but I don't own one. I know they have them, but I don't have one. I felt it had to be sort of darkish. Let's see. What message from the ancestors? Okay, so <clears throat> the message that we have is, I've pulled two cards, just so you know. Um, we have the Three of Swords, which in this deck looks like a demolished pumpkin in the middle of the road that's been run over and people have stabbed some swords into it and there are there's rain pouring down, it's a bit miserable. Like it is... It's not great. There are some, it looks like glow sticks either side of it, a half bitten apple. You know, there's actually a skull in the background, a little bat on the tree as well. But overall, it's pretty much like a, oh, don't see much good stuff in this card. That's kind of the vibe there. And the other card I've pulled is the King of Wands. Now, this King of Wands is very vampiric. He is, and this is a trick or treat tarot, right? So it's Halloween themed. He is dressed up as a vampire. He has a bat crown. He has a rat next to him, some candles, and he's sitting in a chair that looks like it's made from a coffin. So, what the message that's coming through with these today is your ancestors, what I'm feeling is they don't want you to mince your words. And I know that you don't usually normally, but it feels even more so. Don't, um, I think sometimes you get in your head a little bit about how whatever you're wanting to say or talk about is going to be received by people and whether it might offend or hurt people or um, do damage back to you as well. So it's kind of that anxiety around the words that you're going to be speaking. Um, but there's almost this idea that 
you need to allow yourself to say the words that could that you're scared of saying if you know it could make you be the pumpkin on the road right the things that make you feel like that like my career will be over that's the stuff they actually want you to talk about by playing it safe you are maybe being seen or you think you're being seen more of this king of wands energy it's like it's creative it's i'm fun you don't have to worry about me i've got everything in control i'm not going to rock the boat and cause that country to invade like if you think of kings right kings hold you know dominion over their people and i'm not going to cause that country to invade because i'm not going to tell them what they're doing wrong right we're just going to keep the peace it feels very much almost like opposite of keeping the peace um don't jeopardize what you're here to do and speak and say by trying to stay in power does that make sense to you for sure i mean and i think that's every uh doctor slash slash witches concern um and we can talk about that shortly but yeah i see that more as i i see the pumpkin as the past um and certainly stepping into more of that authority and uh ownership of who i am and where i'm going and ownership of the dark as well definitely oh fuck yeah like that's yes and we could i'll i'll tell you my little journey i was actually thinking about that um just before actually how we're all when i was younger and i suppose in that sort of maiden mother phase where you're all about like white light and you know full moon but now i'm like give me the fucking dark moon energy mm-hmm. let's tip some fucking tables people let's you know <laughs> burn down the buildings and fuck <laughs> shit up so that's that's you know and that's the um you know the position of authority that i have now in the world mm-hmm. um, where i can sort of do that do you want to know how i got to this position my next question was literally what's your villain origin story <laughs> I say villain lightheartedly, obviously. Um, But how did you, yeah, how did you find your way into this role of being a literal witch doctor, which is just the coolest thing to say? Yeah, it is. And um, there was a lot of debate. I I was, I contemplated doing roller derby a while ago. um, And it was like, what is my, which, what is my cool roller derby name it was going to be witch doctor or heretic Mm. i ended up going with heretic but anyway um so my story starts i'm going to start back a bit beyond my birth and i always like to start with a casual weaving of ancestral tales so my story i'm going to start with my father and my maternal uh, sorry paternal grandmother she was a Torres Strait Islander woman who had six boys, married. Um, at the time, the government um, didn't, you know, had particular rules in place for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, that was, you know, they weren't allowed to own property, they weren't allowed to vote, like all of these things that we take for granted now were very much an influence. You had to have a card, a little a little card that could tell you you're allowed to leave your, you know, destined territory and travel somewhere else. So for the Torres Strait Islanders, they had to have a, a card for them to get in a boat and travel to another island. <clears throat> and so with that card, there was things that you had to give up. You had to give up your language, you had to give up your customs. So that's sort of the heritage of, of where we came from after colonization. 
So my grandmother, six boys, my father's 16 years old down at the Cairns Wharf, and they called him and said, your father has been electrocuted. And so <clears throat> he got into the ambulance that was there at the Cairns Wharf and watched his father die. His father died in, in front of his eyes. But not only was that really sad, obviously, for six boys to lose their father, what that also meant was that my grandmother, who was Torres Strait Islander, wasn't allowed to own her house. She wasn't allowed to own property. Mm. So the potential fact was that all of everyone was going to be displaced, homeless. So my father at the age of 16 gave up school, which he did really well in. He really loved school and because he had the same name as his father. So he had to say that the house was his and he went to work and started cutting cane um to support his family and it ended up traveling and came down to brisbane and, and met my mother and uh, my mother was working in a, a big sort of day or like a big what do they call it department store um and and they met in there and it was quite interesting because my so my mother's mother didn't want them to get married called the priest in to talk them out because my mother was bearing a black man and so from all of that they ended up getting married despite everything and my father ended up working away so we were quite i was quite sort of disconnected from um my torres strait islander culture in a way because a lot of it was you know up in the far north queensland um and there were little bits and pieces i had a magical elixir of dugong oil um that was under the cabinet and it was like our, our windex you know you know the, my big fat greek wedding the the cure-all like if you're coughing take some dugong oil all of that sort of stuff so that was sort of our connection but when i was a young girl um <clears throat> i used to see spirit that would come and stand what i now recognize as spirit come and stand at the end of my bed um so ghosts every every night or every couple nights and i used to have to run and jump into the bed with my sister um, because sometimes they'd be quite scary and I recognized that I even had it was like a World War One soldier would I recognize that as an adult used to come and stand at the end of my bed and I, I had no idea you know they had bandages and blood like they've just come out of the the war so obviously for a little girl it's quite bloody scary um and I just really had this sense of knowing and connection I remember laying on on the grass and watching ants or you know looking up at the sky and, and really noticing clouds and then i had this sort of notion that we're all characters in a book and you know we could just keep turning the pages um so that was quite a sort of i think a, a deep thought for it for a young kid and that one was about 16 17 probably a little bit more 17 years old um i had a dream and three torres strait islander women came to me in this dream and they pricked my um, ring finger on my left hand and a drop of blood came out. And when that drop of blood came out, I started vibrating really quickly in my body and I left my body and I was traveling through, you know, time and space and I shape shifted into an animal and I climbed up onto this, um, you know, a, a mound, a hill, and I was looking down and peering down at everybody. And I could see what was like a native um, American-y sort of uh, tribal group and, children could see me and I realized that I was a wolf and I came back into my body and when I came back there was an older Torres Strait Islander man right right back in the distance like you, you know you could barely see him but the three women came and they said what were you um what sort of animal and I said I was a wolf and they went oh well you need to go off there and have some teaching 
And so from then I had what I call like a rapid awakening. Um, and I got taught in spirit a lot about um, magic and the ways of being in the world and how I used, um, I got taught crystals. Like if you could look around me at my desk, I've got a thousand crystals all around me. And on my tattoo, there's a crystal there. And that's my first modality of magic. So I was taught and I used to get taken on UFOs up onto, like it was like I would rise out of my bed and go up for extra teaching. Um, and there were people all around me who were asleep, like not awake. And I was one of the first people who were awake and being taught things about crystal surgery. And I can, I can still do it now. I can pull energy out of people's bodies using crystals. How old were you when these dreams and things started happening, these teachings began? Well, from, from the time I was, I was roughly around 16 or 17. I mean, obviously I didn't write it down, but it was around that time. It was sort of as I was finishing school and I had, it was just like night, like it was intense. And then I moved into a teenager. Like, yeah, it was just like, it's, it's, it's time to wake up. And it was very um, difficult. And you have to think, you know, I'm, I'm 50, 50 this, you know, 50 years old. And so back then it was like the early nineties and this was like the new age, you know, things. And there was like, again, it was all about the white light and the dark light and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So all of this stuff was happening to me unbidden. Like I had nobody, I knew nobody else like me who was being taught healing like me and I can travel into people's bodies and I can look around and I can pull stuff out. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. And I met my husband and we lived in a house and it, it had a lot of like ghost energy. You know, I'd hit full steps at night when he was working, um, as a police officer and, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty bloody intense. And, um, yeah, like I'd have dreams sometimes where I was coming back down You got to a stage. It was so much. And how old was I? I would have been about 19. It was almost so much that I was scared to go outside at nighttime mm. because like this sort of intensity teachings would be happening. Um, and then it sort of settled down. I fell pregnant with my first daughter um, quite early, but it was just a, an amazing awakening to my spiritual gifts. Um, also around that time, spirit would start talking to me and I was shown um, this idea for a one-stop shop for women um, where healers would be working alongside medical people. And at that stage, I had no idea I was going to be a doctor. I've got three bachelor degrees. I did my first in a bachelor of business and communications. Um, you know, uh, during high school, I used to read a lot of Jackie Collins novels and I was going to run a male model agency in <laughs> LA. Like that's, that's why I got into comms. Like, hey, I'm good at talking. I could stand up, talk. Um, so that's why I got into comms. Um, and then I was walking around, I started, the other thing I started doing was seeking a certificate for my healing because I wanted a construct or a structure for the work, the things that I could do. So I could hide my magic behind um, massage or, you know, something like that. So I trained nonstop. Also, I'm, an, I'm a nerd. I love learning. Um, but it was just that piece of paper I needed to know. I know I, Spirit told me I needed the piece of paper to protect me. So I'm a Reiki master. Um, you know, I've done every sorts of every sort of massage. 
Um, and then I was walking around a baby expo because I did infant massage um, and spirit said, you're going to work with women and children. So of course I read that, that I'm going to become a midwife. Um, and then spirit started talking to me about becoming a doctor. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a midwife. And then I got into um, nursing and it was around the time my dad got really unwell. He's a vascular, oh, sorry, that's a medical word. Um, <laughs> he was a, a Torres Strait Islander who was diabetic and, you know, had a stroke, had all of these conditions that, um, you know, we see a lot in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, unfortunately. Um, and so that sort of hindered me um, going through because it was really stressful with dad. Um, but anyway, I got into nursing and the call for being a doctor was still really strong. And particularly when I got through my nursing degree and it wasn't without scarring because a lot of there was when I noticed the idea of women, I think, competing with other women. Um, and I had it maybe once or twice in high school, you know, like teachers trying to keep you down, dim your light. I actually had a, a nursing lecturer said to me, don't think you're better than you actually are mm. and failed me on an assignment. And I remember being so hurt. Like it's, it's this wounded feminine that comes, you know, whether it's a historic echo from the witch burning times where we all had to dob each other in to keep ourselves safe. Like if it's an echo of that, but it was bloody hurtful. And I wasn't used to people I'm just used to people going, oh, Danielle, yeah, she's really clever. Like people acknowledging and, and appreciating what you are rather than trying to stomp on you. So I got through nursing like that. And um, when I got into, then I was like, oh, babe, I'm going to get into medicine. But here's the trick. When I started in working in the hospital is when I really started sensing spirit. And I actually found myself putting on a lot of weight as well, like working as a nurse and almost it was like an energetic protection because I'd be on night work or I'd walk into a room and I'd see spirits standing there. And I'm like, oh, can you get the relatives for room 250? Because, um, yeah, they need to come and see their loved one. There was one time when I was a nursing student, actually, on the ward and it was quite a profound moment because I was doing something exciting, like packing uh, cotton wool balls, going, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? And the the, the code light went off boo, 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 and I went bolting because I was like something exciting. And I was running in and it was a Met call. So all the doctors and everyone was coming in with the crash trolleys and all the machines that say bing and light up. And I'm standing back because you're pretty useless as a, as a student. <laughs> I'm standing back against the wall as a nursing student. And the gentleman in the room had the relaxation music happening. It was like, right? So this setting the scene and I stepped back and I could see spirit. I could see his spirit guides there ready to help him transition. And then I could see the medical team working on him. And I was like, oh my God, like I could see the two worlds at once working, you know, together. And it was like profound. And then the spirit mob sort of disappeared and he came back and it was it was so profound and i'm putting a, a blood pressure cuff on him afterwards and taking his blood pressure and i just was thinking oh my god mate you have no idea what happened in this room and it was just being able to see that was really beautiful and i'm also being told if there's anybody who needs to hear it um i worked when i was pure healer so i was purely in my healer state like being a healer um 
you know, I had two children and I was right in my magic and I had no other, you know, formal construct to sort of deaden that like nursing and, and medicine. So I was in full flow and I went to a person's house who was passing away and I was able to journey with him to those other worlds, like because a couple of days beforehand, they're unconscious. And um, I journeyed in with him and was able to tell the family like where he was in what realm, what the realm looked like. And then um, with him when he passed and when he passed, I felt this massive surge of energy. And I remember just putting my hands up and wave after wave. And I was ushering him out, um, bringing the magic and holding that death portal for him and the family. And it was like one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And so I really have this sense that regardless of if you die alone, you never die alone. There is this sense of spirit coming to greet you and to help you transition. And I've witnessed it on many occasions. Um, once even when I was in the hospital as a doctor and I had to, um, one of the roles as a, as a junior doctor or um, you have to declare someone dead, passed on. And they called me, I was on ward call running around all over the hospital. Um, and they called me in just after this um, gentleman had passed away. And it was so, because we have to put our stethoscope on their chest and take your hands off and listen for a heartbeat. Um, and then we have to do a few, test a few other reflexes. And I felt, because I could feel him still there, because it was so soon he was still there. And I was trying to talk to him while I'm trying to examine him, like negotiating those two worlds at once. <clears throat> So, yeah, it was it, that was really interesting. But anyway, I finally got into medicine. I, I got into medicine um, and it was in my first year of medicine that I met the Nunkari. So the Nunkari were Aboriginal traditional healers. Um, so I met them through the Aboriginal, um, sorry, Australian Indigenous Doctors Association, AIDA conference. So I was wide-eyed, still in shock getting into medicine, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Because that was the thing. When I walked into medicine, the lecturer, the very first lecturer, I'm in this thing, you know, 35-year-old woman going, what the hell, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then this, this lecturer walked in and said, if you believe in homeopathy, you might as well leave now. And I sat there and I, I went, I was in shock. And then I thought, well, how am I going to be? here because i can travel into people's bodies and i can see stuff that people you know, can travel into different realms so how is that going to be um and so i just turned my light down i i hid my magic and this is like in through my journey of medicine i started hiding my magic and it was the nunkery these old men um that i ended up meeting through aida that helped me keep a, a little doorway open yeah so i traveled out to alice springs um for this conference and sitting in the audience had no idea what was happening i was sitting with another little medical student we're taking notes because we're at a conference and we got to like take notes and these two old men came on the stage with an interpreter and they started talking about being able to travel into people's bodies and traveling around and pulling stuff out and i just was in shock because i knew nobody else like me i knew nobody who could do what i could do and I went up to them afterwards and I'd like to say I did real cute crying, you know, like little delicate tear, but I cried and I was like, oh my God. And I was trying to explain to them and they were like, ua, ua, palia, palia, it's okay. Um, and then over the years, we developed a really deep, beautiful relationship. And they, you know, if I walked by, they would like sometimes tap my arm and they'd go, ua, ua, nunkari, like, 
And see, this is the thing. They acknowledge that I was a nunkery, which is like a traditional healer, but I haven't gone through ritual and ceremony. I haven't gone through traditional ceremony. I've only been taught by spirit. Um, and uncle would often say to me like, oh, are you or me? We go flying. Um, and, you know, I, I, I stayed next to them in a conference in Hawaii and I'm rocking up to like every day trying to go through the lecture, but every night I'm cruising around Hawaii with them, like astral traveling and doing all this amazing stuff. Um, and then when they passed away, particularly there was one um, I was very, very close with, and it was like my heart was torn out of my chest when I received the news. He was on the way out to Uluru to do men's business. And um, it was it was horrible. I, I just, yeah, it, it was my first experience with deep, deep grief. Mm. And he died on a full moon. And there's this whole wildest story around his funeral. We all traveled out to his funeral and free gone. And um, I won't go into that here, but it was just a, a beautiful, wild adventure. But about 18 months after he passed, um, so this is, let's come back to me. By this time I'd got through medicine. Um, I was in my junior doctor years, um, had got through that and got onto the general practice training program. And yeah, so it was sort of around this time when he passed away. And then 18 months later, I'm sitting at this meditation class with my mate and it was like a Sanskrit one. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. Everyone's like, you know, see, singing in Sanskrit and I'm like giving it a good go. And I'm like, la, 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 I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm here, I'm here for it guys. And there was a woman off to the side who was seemed to be experiencing having like a big energy release. And I was like, yeah, that's all right. And I'm just putting a little bit of protection around me. But then uncle turned up and he's such a cheeky little man. And he was like looking at me and laughing and smiling. And I felt so happy. I felt my energy rise when he came in the room and we had this beautiful connection. And then I felt something on my leg and I looked down, I had like a snake bite on my leg, two, two, two pring, you know, prongs in my leg. And I was like, what the fuck's this? And I was like, is this a stigmata? Am I like Jesus guys? Like, hi, hi everybody. But it's a snake bite, so typical for a witch. And um, anyway, that mark stayed with me for two or three weeks, like the indent from this bite. And I took a photo of it and I showed the other nunkery and they were like, oh, he's transferred some of his mandibar, some of his power to you. And so he was like nunkery number one and number two. They were super nunkery. They were like the most powerful men um, in Australia and they were well known everywhere. Um, so it was such a gift and I felt really humble, but I also felt a bit like, a sham because I wasn't being true to who I was. And the big thing for me to step back into my power and reclaim who I was, because you have to think, getting through medicine, I literally had my medicine drum tied up under my bed, collecting dust, pretending, trying to pretend I was straighty 180, shutting my eyes to the spirits when I walk through hospital. There's nothing magical to see here, guys. It's just Danielle and I'm a doctor, hello. Hello, how are you? No, you know, no acknowledgement of all the mob that stood behind me, um, you know, and, and the power that I had or, you know, the little dragon that started trying to come and make connections with me. I was like trying to fit into a place that I didn't belong. Well, not that I didn't belong, but not belong wholly. And <clears throat> anyway, so I got through this exam, this massive GP exam, and it is freaking hard. You have to study, you know, you study for nine months. Um, the, the exam at that time was like full day, like seven hours of examination. 
going like there was two exams and then you had to do a third exam. But I ended up failing one of the exams by 0.6 of a percent. And other things that were going on for me is that my father, um, you know, his health was declining rapidly. My mother had cancer. So there was a lot of, you know, other extraneous issues. And so the big awakening from such devastation was that I had what I call the dark night of the soul. So, you know, when you are in the underworld and there's no fucking way out and you are sad. I remember waking up and I just felt terribly sad and I went out and lay on the couch and I just started crying, crying because of what it meant I had to do again because I couldn't, it was a barrier exam. So I had to sit the whole lot again um, and I had to study for another, you know, six to nine months. And it was so much strain on my family. And I just wanted this medicine journey to be done. You know, you want to become a consultant so you can be actually have your weekends free. And my husband came out, he heard me crying and I was naked as you were in the whole thing of being vulnerable. And I'm curled up on the couch sobbing. I'm trying to bring cushions on me and I'm like, please don't look at me. And I just didn't know how I'd have the strength to find find myself to come back again. Like I just, I just wanted to be fucking done. I just wanted to go back to Danielle Healer girl. And then that's when I realized that I wasn't being true to who I was and I needed to bring all aspects of myself back. Um, and so the very next day I pulled my drum out um, and unwrapped it and held it close to me. And then my magic wasn't gone. It was just standing in the shadows a little bit. So I just started welcoming it back and acknowledging the beautiful gift that the um, the elders had given me, my elders as well. And so it was so hard for me to say after I'd fellowed, so I finally got through 18 and, um, you know, started standing in that authority. Um, and there was a big thing. I, I worked as a medical educator, which is one of my jobs. And I'm a senior cultural educator, but I stood in front of a room full of doctors and told my story, told this story about how I can travel in people's bodies. And of course I had my period and I'm bleeding like a fucking banshee, like feel my power running out of my legs onto the ground. And I started crying and I looked out in the audience and there were so many people crying. So many, many people came up to me. I had one woman in there like sitting up upright, like you can do it, goddess, you can do it, you can do it. And, and my male CEO was bawling his eyes out. And everyone came up to me afterwards and said, you're so fucking brave. And when I like, it was so hard to start sharing the truth of who I am. And I think, you know, social media and stuff is a place like that. And I'm still, you know, a little bit, not timid, but unsure about it because you don't know who sees you doing that sort of stuff. You don't see who, you know, again, it takes us back. We've all got the witch wounding. And the thing is to stay, stay small, um, to stay safe. But just that was the first time I was truly brave and nothing happened to me. I was in a room full of peers and they didn't drag me outside and fucking burn me at the stake again. They embraced me and they acknowledged me and they loved my journey. And so from then I've been more and more talking about who I am and what I am and, and being a little bit more un, unapologetic about it because it, I can't hide who I am. That's, it's like, you know, how I failed the exam. It was like I was going to, into the exam as half of me. I have to acknowledge that, and you know, I am all of me. 
and that includes my magic and it stirs my blood and it stirs my womb and I have to, you know, howl at the fucking moon because that's who I am. So like it or lump it. But then, you know, I've been really grateful for the opportunities that I've had in um, in my workplace and the support that I've received. So I'm now like one of the national clinical leads of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Health nationally uh, with the Royal College of GPs. And it's it's really wonderful. Like I did a presentation last week where I talked about, you know, women were excluded from medicine and the only medicine that we were allowed to do back then, back in the day, centuries ago, was herbal medicine, midwifery. And what did we, and all healers. And what did we get for that? We got burnt. So here I am. This is how I got to where I am. It is um, been a long and winding journey, but I haven't been without my amazing support network and yeah, stepping back into teaching, but it was very hard to put my shingle out again. It was so easy when I didn't have, um, I wasn't operating in any systems, mm. but the other thing I, I, I really stepped more into, so was acknowledging my, my magic in what, what's called women's business. So acknowledging that when I used to be a junior doctor and help in cesareans even, you know, I'd be there, I'm the pusher. So you've got to push the baby out and then you've got to step aside because all the birth fluids would like come out over you. So you've got to be able to jump back quickly and push and all, all this sort of stuff. But I started feeling this spiraling energy. So this is when Danielle's trying to be straight in 180, right? There's nothing magical happening here. Yet this energy kept moving through me, even in a cesarean. And I, I, rem I remember, you know, when I was a medical student, part of our job was to catch the babies, do four catches, I'm using little air quotations here because it was such, that was the medicalized term of it. Like you could just get in there, whip it out, catch the baby and, and then you're done, you tick the box. For me, it was much more of a profound experience. And I was with woman, I was with this woman. And I was actually thinking about her the other night, I think, God, oh, that baby would now be, you know, preteen. Um, but it was such a privilege for me and, and all the midwives are like are you sure you don't want to be a midwife like you are bloody amazing and being able to help greet a baby and help bring that baby earthside and place be the you know help you know deliver this baby into the world is <laughs> i can't even put it into words it's one of the most magical experiences and it just makes me so sad that people don't really know that other layer of otherworldliness that's happening at the same time. Mm. And so I started moving more into birth work um, and bringing my sort of brand of magic into working with women um, and weaving, like I'm obsessed with science, the science of birth and, and the way we can work with our natural hormones to have this, you know, notion of transcendence. But I'm also about decolonizing perinatal medicine we need to have rituals and ceremonies. You know, one of my clients I just worked with, I went down to um, one of our local creeks and I took one of my big crystal skulls and we went down and um, we did a, I did a healing on her down by the water of this creek and I could sense all these Aboriginal women coming up to me going, oh, you know, they were just so happy that women's business, the way it used to be, was being, you know, done again in this creek. Mm -hmm. And it was like such heart opening energy there amongst all of these trees and and like i've got some beautiful photographs of her um and it was just lovely 
and stunning. And I've decided I can't do 15 minute medicine. When my mother was, um, her cancer became really bad. I stepped away from regular general practice because I knew that I wanted to be able to be with somebody and hold space for them for more than 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to like go back to the ways that we used to do medicine. Like we've in this country, we've got 60,000 years of evidence-based medicine. It's just in a different knowledge system. And I work in that knowledge system through my ancestors, through my kin relations, through, you know, my ability to go into other worlds, other realms, into the seen and the unseen. That's where I can operate as well as medicine, as well as, you know, and that's what I used to say to my patients. If I gave you a script for antibiotics, you actually need it. I'm not going to be one who, um, you know, recommends medicine if, you know, you know, this notion that doctors are drug pushers isn't, you know, 100% real because there's many of us who, who go, well, no, let's look at the whole person, whole person medicine health. And that for me includes spirit, includes well-being. And so I do a lot of work with women with menstrual um, conditions and concerns and understanding and connecting to the, the magic that's in your womb the energy imprints that can be in your womb. And so I do a thing called holistic pelvic care. I did the training as the first doctor trained in Australia. I think it was back in 2016. And from then it was just, again, another piece of paper for another way for me to get the insurance so I could operate in the realm of women's business, sacred women's business, and being able to help people release those trauma blocks that they hold in their pelvis. The amount of women that I've had up on that bed who've cried and had an energy released, who've been so disconnected from the very seat of their magic. This is the cauldron. We are the cauldron of creation. Mm -hmm. Every moment, every day, we're, we're changing. We're not sta static. And this is what we have to, you know, society doesn't allow us to be truly who we are because we have to subscribe to, you know, a nine to five job or, you know, being everything for everyone. We can't have those days where we can bleed, you know, like I'd, I'd love the decision to be, what am I doing today down by the creek? Am I weaving or making a bowl? We don't have that opportunity to be slow and our nervous system has amped up in response. We have many different stresses chemically that interact in our body. We've got physical stress, you know, financial stress, chemical stress, and all of these have a toll in our body and interfere with our menstruation. And I'm, you know, I really believe it spins you out when you think every sanitary pad that we've used is still in existence in a rubbish pile somewhere. Our sacred blood is just sitting in a dump. It blows my mind. But when you think about the, the bleaching and, and making the period nice and white, you know, sorry, the, um, the product nice and white. So, you know, blood, you know, it's not dirty, the dirty blood that we always have. We're putting bleach and chemicals and poison against what is our most sacred or inside of us if you use tampons, mm. you know, and I think is this why a lot of women are having menstrual pathologies? Mm. I've switched to reusable period undies. I've tried to cut, but it wasn't quite right for me. It might've been the wrong shape, size, whatever, but I really love the period undies. And I'll tell you what, ever since I've used them, which has been since giving birth um, to my daughter six years ago, five years ago, I think I switched. Yeah. As soon as they came out, I was like, that's for me. I haven't had any 
real issues, whereas previously I'd suffered with PCOS and amenorrhea where I didn't get a period for many years and I don't really have that so much anymore. And I have heard a lot of people talking about this sort of an issue, whereas it's, you know, sometimes bleached cotton or there's even plastic in uh, what we're putting Mm -hmm. right next to us, which not only is it magically a portal space, but also, I mean, it's, it's like putting something on the inside of your mouth. Like it's, it's going to absorb anything that's next to it. Right. It's 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 mucous membranes in there. Right. So yeah, we have to be cautious, careful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah. And that's, I think is, is what I love about this. It's like a period Renaissance, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go back and look at history, like medieval history, they, uh, they used to do um, tampons was basically like a cork, uh, from a bottle that was dipped in wax and they put a hole in it. So that was a way that we looked to plug it up. Um, and, you know, back in my mother's era, it was literally rags. Like you you would, which is better. Like that was free bleeding, I suppose. It, it was just like this, you know, the modernization of us, um, the suburbanization of us, of what is our most sacred. You know, we can put fences around houses, but hey, we can also put plastic. That's a, that's a thing of convenience. Not once did anybody think about or, you know, those in control ever thought about the damage to our great mother mm-hmm. and to us yeah. and our interconnection with that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with your holistic um, public care, because did, I did have a question from uh, with some of our listeners, my Patreon supporters. I asked them if anyone wanted to ask some questions of you. And Narelle asked, she said she wanted to hear more about the womb medicine work that you do. And I think the holistic pelvic care comes into that. Is that right? Yeah, so the um, the big thing I do again when I when I do a holistic pelvic care treatment, I will take a, a full woman's health history because what I want to do is I start getting what I call like little thread pulls, and that will take me to where we need to go. So I sit and I'm really open, and I I was so blessed I was able to do that a couple of times in general practice as well, and you know the conditions you know i found a a really rare cancer skin cancer that looked very benign but i just sort of listened to the intuition and listened to what the woman was telling me because she knew there was something not right in it um we ended up taking it out and um it was was, she would have been um no longer with us um in a couple of months like it was that sort of aggressive and rare so i really appreciate when I'm able to open up. So I do that in this space and I take a full woman, uh, like a women's health history and it can seem quite benign, particularly when we get to the history like around our mother and father, because you might see a bit of a interplay through the generations, like all the women in my family have had period problems or we all suffer from um, polycystic or we all suffer from this. So you see like this little, you know, glitching through the, the matriarchal matrix Mm. um like coming down through the generations um and so i did a lot of shamanic journeying when i started working a lot with our menstruation and received information around you know conditions like adenomyosis and endometriosis and what that can mean spiritually and also how we can work with that so if you think about endometriosis we go more into that because the next question I had was from Kelly, one of my Patreon supporters, and she said, is there anything you recommend for endometriosis or PCOS? So if you can expand on what you think spiritually those conditions can mean and what people can do as well, that would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the big thing with any menstrual 
um, conditions is reconnecting to your cycle. And then also uh, stress. And as I said, we, we experience a lot of different stress. If we look at our biological makeup, it's, it's nothing's really changed since we evolved you know, 60,000 years ago, or even before that, when we were running around with dinosaurs, like the biggest the thing we had to do was run away from a tiger, find something to eat, and that's it, you know, basically to survive. Now, in our modern times, we have many different stresses, and that impact, our body still reads it in fight or flight, and, you know, protection. So fight, flight, fight, you know, fight, fright, freeze. And so that was you know our body still is the same yet there's so many more things that influence us so it is how do i reduce um, inflammation in my body because stress um, through like a cytokine flow I'm, I'm using my hands here i know you can't see it everybody but it's through a um you know a, a mechanism that, uh, stress will impact and cause inflammation. So inflammation is one of the big things. So you can talk to a, an amazing naturopath um, or integrative um, gynecologist or something like that and look at how you can reduce the inflammation that's in your body. And the other thing is honoring your cycle. And so when you're about to bleed, do nothing. Read a book, put the TV on for the kids to watch, put your legs up and just breathe. We are, we're always so stressed. We need to be more in our parasympathetic nervous system. I love things like yoga, um, you know, the breathing, even when I'm with women in labor, like just being, doing calm breath, like the majority, I'm going to say all of my women have had natural physiological births where we haven't had to have any other interventions because they feel safe, loved, held and secure. So when you do that, you allow oxytocin, which is one of our um, hormones for bonding to work naturally and so we've got to look at ways that we can encourage our biological hormonal system to do the thing it's meant to do and so when we are chronically stressed this is the little this is a trick we've got in our menstrual cycle we've got estrogen and progesterone now they're our they're our two main ones that cause our menstrual cycle the so progesterone is our anti-anxiety hormone it's 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 our calm and chill and so that's why it'll be dominant in the second half of our cycle because that's estrogen sort of goes down and progesterone rises up a little bit higher um, and then when the progesterone drops that's when we sort of shift into our period and so with it being sort of a bit more dominant we want to be relaxing and that's biologically what we're supposed to be doing but what happens is the precursor for um, the precursor molecule for progesterone is also the precursor molecule for cortisol. So your body's reading, hey guys, I'm really stressed. Our body reacts, oh shit, is there a tiger or a dinosaur that we need to run for? That's we we just read it like that. We can't say, oh, we've got, you know, we've got no money to pay a bill or something like that. Or so-and-so is being an asshole to me at work. Our body just reads it in that way, right? So it's very black and white. So it goes, hey, guys, make some more cortisol because we need that for the fight or flight. So all of the molecules are heading off to there. And so then we get low progesterone. We, we don't have as much progesterone. We don't have as enough, enough anti-anxiety sort of hormone running through us. So then we're stressed out. When we're stressed out, that can cause things like delayed periods, prolonged periods, 
um, heavy bleeding, clots, all of those sorts of things. So just trying to chill the fuck out during, and we've got, we've got four points where we can review our cycle. Day one bleed. This is our opportunity to renew, to look back over the month and go, wow, something's got to change because this period is pretty bloody hectic. Okay. So you've got that opportunity to reflect. We get to week one. That's the, the, you know, the fool in, in tarot. It's like, we're heading off on a journey, everybody. Grab your pens and paper. Let's all, let's all go for a magical adventure. So we've got stuff like that, but it's also the maiden. So this is the joyful part. Like this is where you've got energy. You're like, bang, bang, bang. I'm ready to like kill it. And literally as we head around, so this is estrogen. Estrogen is our natural fertilizer. It makes stuff grow. It makes the neuro um, neurons in our brains grow. So we're actually a little bit zingy, right? So I always say to try to do something when you're ovulating, um, that's when you're gonna have more brain interconnectivity between the two hemispheres and you're like bang and ready to go. So you've got a big thing, try it. And we at my work have a <clears throat> informal uh, menstrual policy. So we always look at where we're on the cycle. When I'm cycling, I'm now heading into perimenopausal town, which is an adventure all, all by itself. Um, but this is historically. So when you get to your um, the, the mother, that's when you have all the top of your cycle, ovulation, um, that's when you're on. And then you start sort of, your, your hormones sort of shift with the release of the egg. And then the, where the egg gets released from turns into a little hormone making factory. Our body's so fucking fascinating. It's called a corpus luteum and that pulses out progesterone unless you're pregnant. And then that's when the placenta will take over making progesterone, progestation for pregnancy. So you've got these two mechanisms. So when you're not pregnant, this little corpus luteum starts sort of dwindling down and then that's when the shift happens again and then your your estrogen will start rising but when the progesterone drops is when you have your period so yeah so that it's it's a fascinating i don't even know if i answered the question i feel like i might have went somewhere i went somewhere with that uh, particular question one thing with people who maybe don't have a cycle and can't reconnect with it just yet um, what I've always suggested to people is to start reconnecting with the moon because the moon goes through that same 28-day cycle that we traditionally go through and listening to that energy. And then sometimes, I mean, when I started working with the moon, that was also when my period started becoming more regular. It's still not a 28-day cycle, um, but it definitely has become more regular. And I actually recommend going out and looking at the full moon to because we don't do that anymore. We stay inside our houses and we don't look up at the sky. Make sure you get out there and your body can register, oh, lots of light at night. Okay, we're looking at the moon. Perhaps that means we should be, you know, ovulating right now. And it can just sort of start to get you a little bit more in sync. It's not gonna, it's not gonna cure you of everything, but I think going out and looking at the moon and connecting with the moon can be really good um, for Absolutely. anyone. And that's that's for women who don't menstruate, who have even got like um, hormone contraceptive sort of things in place or they're menopausal. Mm -hmm. We always go back to the moon because that connects us, connects us to the earth, the cycles, mm -hmm. because we have to acknowledge that we have cycles within and cycles without. And if we're so disconnected from our, um, what I like to call our menstrual ecology, if we're so separated from that because it's been suburbanized and modernized and they've got pretty little white fences around our, you know, bleeding wombs, they're trying to contain our magic with that. We need to burst out those, knock down the fences, 
we're going to rejuvenate and we've got to connect to the moon we've got to reconnect to our magic we've got to pour our blood on the on the garden even before i knew about this I intuitively knew to do this. I would start collecting my blood. So this is back in, you know, again, the 90s where people weren't really at that stage. We're still talking about like white light and, you know, moon magic, white, the full moon's the only good moon. So we're not actually really practicing that dark moon magic of, you know, really deeply connecting to the earth. So I used to put all my tampons in a big bucket of water in the laundry. My husband would walk and go, how you going with this, Danielle? Is this, uh, are we doing anything with this here? Like, don't look at it. And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> and I'd be out at nighttime pouring it on my garden and like, you know, all my plants in my permaculture gardens and grow, grow, grow. And I've then I realized, <laughs> yeah, and it's so amazing. Like we intuitively know to do this mm -hmm. because you know, this is the, the power of us trying to separate, but we've all got like this consciousness that we can tap into and remember and reclaim. And this is the beauty of the, you know, the, the witch hive mind mm -hmm. is that we also are going around and like, there could be like a little Tinkerbell fairy who's going on and sprinkling and waking us all up. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. And we all like, Oh, hello. I had this great dream. This reminds me of a dream I had. And you know, when a dream special, it plays like three times. So you really pay attention to it. And this dream I'm out in the field and all of these babies were coming down from space in pods. And, and I was like, oh, my God. And this was like before I even thought about being a doctor and, and, and getting into medicine or nursing or anything like that. It was all these pods and I was helping deliver and I opened up and all these like little babies like, hey, like, hey, how are you going? And I was like, oh, but now I realize now this is what I'm doing in this dream is that the women who come to work with me seem to have really high vibration babies and I'm able to hold the birth portal energy in such a way that they're able to come into this realm. And it's, you know, I feel sad sometimes that women can't experience all women should have access to the sort of birth that I'm able to bring in or like being able to connect to the deep magic of that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, even if it's in the hospital system, it's still happening. Even in a cesarean, it's still there. It's still a portal opens up and babies usher forth. Mm. And I think by connecting to our womb magic, um, and I'll just tell you, I, I remembered I didn't talk about adenomyosis because this is all about it. So I suffered from adenomyosis a lot. And when I did a shamanic journey to it, I saw. Um, Hold on, is adenomyosis, is that when you have a long period, too much period? No, well, you do. It's, it's, it's a doozy. It's quite heavy. Um, but what happens is that we've got the cells of um, the endometrial lining and they regress, they go backwards into the muscle, the muscle, the myometrium that surrounds the uterus. So the very inner part of our core, we have our endometrial lining and the next part is the myometrium. And then we've got like a beautiful serosa, like a clear single cell, like really sensitive um, lining that covers everything. So that's sort of our three layers. So we've got this really sensitive inner part and the myometrium is like our Xena warrior princess energy. It's like, fuck God, let's do it. Um, and then the outer is our sensitivity, like, cause it's very sensitive to the external environment. But our endometrial lining is the snake. And this is because it sheds, it changes. And this is what it changes and regrows. Like at the start of a cycle, when the, after the blood has shed, it starts to grow, you know, deeper and deeper and deeper and it moves inward. 
um, until it, we get these really cool little things called spiral arteries that spiral out through the endometrium, nourishing and feeding the blood, like with the blood and nutrients to really support this endometrium for implantation. And so what happens after a while, like past ovulation, is that there's not enough estrogen now and they start to wilt and die. So this is our heading through our life, death, birth, rebirth. We even have it in our blood vessels in our endometrium and they start to regress um, and shut down a little bit. And then it's when they withdraw is that when the endometrial lining can shed because there's nothing that's holding them in place and nourishing them anymore. So that's the shedding of the lining. So that's what I'm saying. Our bodies are so profound. Our magic is so profound. Life, death, birth, rebirth, life, death, birth, rebirth, even on a hormonal level, even on a chemical level, our magic is telling us it's like a little timestamp, life, death, birth, rebirth, life, death, birth, rebirth. It's, and, and we are so out of touch with our magic. So yes, look at the moon, mm -hmm. go out, stand in it, breathe, look at ways to calm yourselves down, activate your parasympathetic nervous system, breathing, noticing when you're getting stressed, what are your triggers? Don't fucking do them. Yeah. Big thing, you know, because if nothing, if we don't change anything, our, our blood is our barometer. Okay. How our period is because a period should just arrive. It shouldn't come like painful and stuff. It's trying to tell us something. And unless we listen, it's going to keep going because blood, it's an altar that we stand before. We're born into blood. We get our period. Our period will tell us our magic. And if we don't listen, then it's going to come out in childbirth, mm -hmm. which is another altar. And if we don't listen there, it's going to come out when we lose our blood. So some people have a hectic menopause, whereas some people just sail through it. And then unfortunately, if we don't deal with all of our shit and our like acknowledgement and, and dealing with what we need to at the time of, because those portals are periods of great transformation. And if I go back to, you know, we've been brought up in menstrual shame. So that's what I love about this resurgent and all these younger women. This is probably all the little pods that came down because it was probably about 30 years ago now. So all of these young women that are, you know, heading into 30, they're the way showers. These are the, the, the girls who don't have the fear that someone of my ilk does. Mm, stay small. You're all like, fuck it. Look at you. You're a bloody suburban witch. You don't <laughs> give a shit. You're out on YouTube. You're doing your things. You've got your hair pink. You're amazing. Wearing little moon, moon tarot cards. I mean, <laughs> living the dream. Living the dream. If I was doing that, I'd be like a, a mental lunatic, you know, back in the, the 90s. All of those sorts of things. I got distracted by your beautiful hair and earrings and I was uh, going, where was I going with that? I was going I want to talk about. I want to talk about your hair as well because um, oh, yeah. you have beautiful, you don't look like what people think of when they say, I'm going to see my doctor because you have beautiful long dreadlocks, you have beads in them, like it is magical hair and I love that. Can you tell us all a little bit about your hair journey? my my hair journey so um my sister uh was gifted with the Torres Strait Islander afro right like really curly hair that sort of stuck up mine was more like beautiful long golden waves that came down to my bum so my sister had um 
we were, we used to play as kids and uh, we'd play hairdressers and all the kids want to play with my hair but no one could really do much with my poor sister's hair so mum used to basically have to shave her hair so it was really funny because she used to go Kerry go wash your sister's hair and Kerry used to get like a whole big thing of shampoo and just like tear it into my hair and get a comb and like rip it out because she's real jealous for my hair I'm like yeah so anyway it's been pretty funny um my hair journey and then of course during the 80s when uh, 90s when you have two small kids I decided to cut the shit out of my hair because my hair is um wild and big and really curly so if you go back on my Instagram or whatever you'll probably see it looks like a big lion's mane but what used to give me the shits is that it wanted to dread. Every Sunday, I would be journeying into the shower for three hours with a bottle of conditioner, basically, and an Afro comb, and like be spending time. And I was like, why, why am I fighting nature? That was one of the questions that I had. And I was like, oh no, you know. And I'm like, my hair just wants to dread. Like, this is, I'm fighting my hair every week for what it wants to do. And then I started off really cautiously because I always used to have, um, uh, a red like a wee like a, a weave or wrap in my hair and that's actually from um, a really intense shamanic journey um, I did into my womb so I was like I'm just going in to like learn how to help heal my menstrual cycle you always have this idea it's going to be really benign and I went in there I was like literally like <sighs> I met Sekhmet she initiated me as a blood priestess. She's drawing symbols in my blood all over my face. And um, it was wild. I'm riding a, a, a bloody lion out through my cervix. Like it was pretty crazy. <laughs> from that, and she's plaiting, yeah, she's plaiting my hair with um, blood, basically. So I came out and I always have red in my hair to acknowledge that initiation I had. Like I literally came back and vomited and shit on the floor. Like it was like an intense energy shift. That's probably TMI, but whatever, we all do it. Um, but it was like, ugh, like it was, and I was off. My poor husband came to pick me up from this quite benign workshop. And I'm like, can't talk, not here. He's like, okay, here we go again, guys. And um, yeah, it was really, really, really um, intense. So I always have like red in my hair. And then I just started embracing. So I started doing um, partial dreads. I met this really beautiful um, dread woman um, who had a, she's a heart of gold. Um, and she, yeah, she started doing my hair. But even like with partial dreads, the rest of my hair started dreading around it. So I was still in the same problem where I'd go in every Sunday with the bloody Afro comb. And I said, I actually don't have time for this. Um, so yeah, I've, I'm journeying with dreads. Sometimes I really like them. Sometimes they're annoying, but I always have like um, bits of magic in, you know, like wrapped in there. I've got um, bits of cotton and stuff and little skulls and little Viking beads. That's it's just a, it's just an adventure, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I I, I, my hair needs to have um length if it was cut short it just goes out sideways mm -hmm. and like goes really crazy and curly I've been on a hair journey not quite as intense as that but I thought if anyone's seen on my Instagram you might have six months ago um since we, we've obviously been in Queensland now a bit over a year and since getting here I'd noticed I've always had like little sort of curly bits underneath my hair's always been quite buffy and I'd always have to like straighten it and all of that and I just thought that was just my hair and then I got up here to Queensland where it's very humid and suddenly these curls underneath started like ringleting and I'm like what I have straight hair I do not have curly hair what is this and I think as well a little bit was pregnancy changed my hair a little bit as well it definitely changed yeah. how it sort of grew back and I 
post it up online or, or just on Instagram. I was like, why have I got ringlets here? What is this? Why have I got one section that's curly? And a lot of people were like, no, that's like baby hairs coming through at the back. Like they're quite short. That's how your hair probably naturally is. And a little bit of moisture in the air is bringing it out, but you just don't know how to deal with curly hair. So I've been on that journey. And the past six months, I haven't brushed my hair, which feels really weird to say. I stopped brushing it. Uh, I only comb it in the shower or I just finger comb it when it's wet in the shower. And I've, you know, just started treating it curly. Now it's it's quite curly. So I washed it like four days ago. I haven't really touched yeah. it. And it looks, I think it looks amazing. And last week I had a really bad stretch of migraines, like six in a week. And I could not be bothered curly anything. I was like, I'll just wash it as if it's straight. And I hated it. I hated it. I was like, never doing that again. Just didn't look like me and it didn't sit right. And I was like, nope, this is why. I always straightened my hair because it was this weird, buffy, kinky, like not like kinky curls, but like it would have like a big kink in it weirdly and just didn't like it. But on the same vein, this same week that I've been having a lot of migraines, I've been getting uh, this kind of w- works in a little bit. I've been getting sound healing sessions with um, someone named Todd Sergot um, from Elemental Synchronicity. And the, like he's in America, we do it online. It's wonderful. And it allows me like a good hour and a half to just sort of, a not be the practitioner and just be like the the one receiving which is rare and lie down and just sort of drop into a meditative state and he does his thing and similar to you I actually brought you up when I was chatting with him because he'll use a drum and I've said every time I hear the drum when I went to your moon temple and you used the drum it just feels like such an anchor for me to then go out and and journey or travel and do find discover really amazing things about myself so it's been really wonderful having this sort of anchor here for me. And one thing that came out of it was I kept seeing my hair in this image. And there's a few times hair has come up. Um, I've seen Medusa hair. I've seen my hair. I've seen um, all of this stuff. And I kind of getting this vibe that I might need to cover my hair even as I'm sleeping, you know, energetically uh, for me in terms of migraines. So I'm like, okay, I'll try that. Still haven't done it. It was like a week ago. I need to do that. But the other thing was I was reading this Slavic witchcraft book called Baba Yaga's Witchcraft. Um, It's by Madame Pamita. And I'm just reading a chapter at a time every now and then. And I happened to pick it up this week and the chapter just happened to be on hair. And I was like, oh, interesting. And one of the things she says in there is every time you get a haircut or brush your hair or whatever, you need to burn your hair. And I'm like, oh, obviously I just like, get everything from the bottom of the shower and put it in the bin or I'm not really brushing my hair. So a lot comes out in the shower when I wash it once a week or when I go to the hairdressers, obviously I just let them sweep away and do whatever. And she said, hair that gets taken by the birds. This is one thing that really stood out. And I showed it to my husband, like, Oh my God, hair that gets taken by the birds can give you a headache. And I was like, I've been literally, sometimes I will gift my hair as an offering to the birds to use in their nests. So I was like, oh my God, what have I been doing? <laughs> it's just this like right. interesting little hints that have been coming up around hair. So um, I think so, I was going to say for us in our culture in the Torres Strait, um, you can use hair to sing people, uh, like we'll point the bone. Um, so you can use it for, um, you know, dark sorcery uh, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I had a student um, once, I only saw him once and I was pregnant with my daughter my first daughter and he was coming in and he was like, I'm a powerful sorcerer. And, you know, um, it was like, he was trying to attack 
me and my energy and I said like you don't scare me like you don't intimidate me I'm really good in my magic and but when I was telling my grandmother she was like oh darling you didn't get any of your hair don't let him get your hair like because he could put like a, a curse on me um and yeah so that was quite interesting I've come out of this sound healing session the first thing I said to Todd was I think I need a haircut and we were releasing a lot we've been releasing a lot of stuff as well um so yeah, now I've booked a haircut and I'm like, I'm just going to have to be like, so I'm just going to take my hair clippings with me, just nod and smile and pretend it's normal and <laughs> take it home and burn it. <laughs> you want to sweep it up before you, um, like, so you don't take anybody extras else's hair because, you know, hairdressers often have mm. a lot of hair on their floor. So well, he said that, sweep um, he said, I'm the only one that's booked in for that time. So should just be mine. Oh, perfect. Should be, yeah, yeah. That's good. The work that I'm doing with Todd is very similar. It actually works in with when I saw you for holistic pelvic care. So I saw you last year and we, when you were saying you just sort of like do a benign, like health history check, it is like, it's in depth and it is not like what any other doctor has ever asked me. It is stuff that I think all doctors should ask, but they don't. Um, yes, you went through my mother's history, uh, my father's history, all of that. But then even like what happened when the first time you got your period, tell me about, you know, birth, pregnancy, all of these things that, you know, sex, any sexual trauma, all of that, that absolutely plays a part in our holistic health all over, I think. And it was, I, I felt really heard. It was really great in that aspect. Um, and then the actual session was, as you know, was wildly eye-opening. And you even said, you said your period's going to come early after this. And it did. It absolutely did. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really, really interesting. And I've noticed any time I do any form of magic around um, releasing trauma, specifically from my womb area, um, and I have another question on that as well, but anytime I do magic around that, I will often, it'll trigger a, an earlier bleed than normal. My period comes earlier to help me, I guess, with releasing everything. Uh, but then I also get quite a few migraines as well around that. So it's obviously lots going on. I haven't figured out how to stop that aspect yet, but I know there's a link. Mm. Um, one yeah. of my other questions though, I know we say that women hold, uh, or people with a uterus hold their trauma in that area where do men hold their trauma do you do you know or is that classified men's business and we don't know that's probably more men's business i i i don't really um i try not to ponder that too much because that's out of my you know cultural uh lineage that we don't do that yeah Uh, do you know as well i'm also curious because there is in indigenous culture here in australia women's and men's business and it's it is quite separate um but I also know and I only know this from watching that tv show with the lady who played Madame Sprout in Harry Potter what was her that actress well, um she's hilarious yes I know who you're talking about yeah, I don't you know, know who I'm talking about was she Miriam Miriam someone yeah she lives yep. here in Australia now with her wife, but she went on a, a big tour of Australia and she met all these people up in, in Darwin, I think it was, and they're Indigenous and they were um, trans or some were performing drag and it was just this really amazing um, way of presenting people who were trans as just a normal part of life and that seemed to be the Indigenous cultural aspect of that. And my question more role rolls around the women's and men's business 
And does that include trans people? Um, there's always been stories of two spirits um, and that's, you'll often find that around, um, around the world. In terms of what people do in their own communities, I can't really comment on. But yes, I, I know about like um, the sister girls, the brother, yeah. you, know, um, you know, all of those up at um, Tiwi Islands is probably where that was up near Darwin. Um, and it's, <clears throat> I think being queer is, I, I want to say, and I is overall really well celebrated in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health. But that's only my slither of, interaction like i obviously can't speak for you know the 270 different nations that we have within australia um <clears throat> and where they sit in women's business or men's business i can't really comment on mm -hmm. so um but i think it, it is an interesting space that we're in now with um trans people and and i do you know try to say people who bleed people who menstruate mm -hmm. um even you know acknowledging that endometriosis there's 830,000 people um who suffer from that per year yeah. so it's it is it's a i think it's really important to acknowledge um how people feel spiritually in their bodies and that's like what we what we are is essentially just a bag of bones and chemicals and skin and a spirit and so it shouldn't really matter. Gender shouldn't really matter. It's whether you're a good person and you're kind and you love people and you're good to nature and good to our great mother and you honor and respect um, spirit, I think is where it's at. And I don't understand a lot of this stuff that's going on in the world. And it just breaks my heart because again, it's, it's the patriarchy or the dominant culture going against the other. Mm -hmm. And we see this, in different variations and different flavors throughout history. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've found it as well. So my daughter, we obviously have raised her to believe that um, she can do whatever she wants, right? If she wants to, there shouldn't be any barriers there, but then they were doing something at school uh, where they had to bring in, you know, bits and bobs to make a musical instrument. And she wanted to bring in this paper towel, cardboard tube. And she said, Oh, maybe it can be a didgeridoo. And I use that moment to be like, well, didgeridoo is men's business. So women don't play the didgeridoo. And especially not if we're not Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, we're not Indigenous. And she said, but women can do everything men can do. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yes. However, this is a cultural thing. Uh, it is not that women can't do it. It is a spiritual thing. And it was this really weird thing where I was like, I don't have all the answers. I just know that's not something that women do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, 100%. And even there's like, it's really interesting, particularly around things like, um, you know, climbing sacred mountains, for instance. Mm. People are like, well, why can't I? Uluru, why can't I go out and climb that? I'm Australian. I should be able to go wherever I want. Yeah. Uh, and the same as we have up here at the Sunshine Coast, um, you know, there's lots of people that climb the Glasshouse Mountains. But if you read really, you know, you go down on the Department of uh, Parks and Wildlife or something, their website, it actually says that the Jinnabara and the Cubby Cubby people, the elders don't want you to climb it. So guess what? I'm never going to climb it ever. They are beautiful. Um, they're stunning. And they, they, they're, they tell an amazing dreaming story. Mm. Um, 
but a lot of people just go, even if I've mentioned that, they go, but I want to. Yeah. Like you don't want to change that thing. So I, I love that you're, you know, we've got to have that cultural respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, for me, the teachings from the, the uncle and the nunkery, it was really funny when I started coming back out again as a healer and put my little shingle out and said, well, this is who I am, Dr. Danielle Arabina. I can play with dragons and take you into other realms. And um, it was really interesting because one of my aunties contacted me and she's like, oh, darling, my darling, um, because our family was part of adoption as well, which is a, a common thing in the Torres Strait, um, happened also after um, it was it's cultural adoption but there's also stuff that happened after um colonialization but she said darling oh she was doing lots of research and she said we're like from another group of islands and on this island you're a descendant of Upas, which was one of the a very powerful sorcerer now the sorcerer is a term that the Haddon's research team who came through on Cambridge University coin up through the islands in the 1800s and they were documenting the you know the black people up there as you know colonizers like to do and write down you know little journal articles about them but my grandfather ancestral grandfather was mentioned um, and I found the article and it was really about um, he was a very powerful sorcerer and so for me it was that little final piece of the puzzle of understanding where my cultural gifts come from where this ability like the nunkery saw me as the nunkery but now it was like that missing little piece of the puzzle clinked in mm. because through colonization all of our knowledge was lost and so we had this thing in our family that people remembered that there were healers in there somewhere and people who could do what i could do mm. but i was the only sort of known one in this you know current era of our family mm -hmm. and i'm really lucky that my daughters um a sort of st following that same path and because that's what the uncle said to me the nunkery he said oh uh, you're a nunkery your daughter a nunkery your other daughter a nunkery or nunkery and you know having that being able to reclaim generational magic um i think is really powerful and important and particularly you know like um i've got fair skin as well so you know i acknowledge my celtic heritage um the Irish witch in me just, I saw the, a photo of the cliffs of my hair and I never knew what it was, but it's something like reverberated in my body. And I was like, what the fuck is this place? And then I read about it and then we got our ancestry DNA back and my sister's messaged me and goes, kiss me, I'm Irish. And I'm like, where does this come from? Like what? But it, to me, it's just that final piece of the puzzle that makes you understand you know who you are and what magic flows through you because it is the gift from our ancestors and it flows through our our chemicals and our biochemistry and it makes up part of our epigenetics mm. it's you know it's who we are and we can't deny it the world actually we can't survive without us right now the world is in a tipping point energetically and we need to be able to step into our power and into our whole self and, and people like yourself, Hannah, who are shining lights for other people to embrace their otherness is something that's profound. And it makes me so proud to watch younger women like just stepping in and go, fuck yeah, here I am. Take it. Who cares? Yeah. Let's fuck shit up. Let's turn some tables over. I always feel like the dark goddesses like Kali and, you know, whoever they're sitting in the back and they're coming, come on, bitches, let's ride. And we just go cruising through. That's that's the image I have sometimes with dark moon energy. It's like, let's let's go. It's that crone, it's that eldership. And and that's where I am now. Like I'm almost like I could give a fuck. 
I've got dreads, I've got tattoos, whatever. I yep. don't care. You can't take my medical degree. You can't take my fellowship from me. You can make me not practice as a doctor through, you know, APRA or whatever it is. But, you know, you, I think you come at it and you deal with whatever the universe throws at you, but you keep just trying to be true to yourself, mm. true to who you are and just be kind and love people and hold space for people when they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. I love all of that. So in your day-to-day now, so you're you're still working as a doctor, um, a doula, obviously your your witch stuff, you've got your moon temples that you put on uh, for each, most of the Sabbaths. Uh, and then you're, what was it, the Indigenous, you're the con- is lead consultant, lead, what was the term for the? I've got many jobs, mate. Like this is, this is my life. <laughs> I've got about, I feel like if we wear many hats, I've probably got about 10 like balances manif- over my head. Are you a manifesting generator? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. 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 Um, so yes, I, I work in the, so one of the big things, this is part of my work that I'm here to do. This is the one stop shop for women that I was shown, yeah. you know, many years ago. Um, and that's 13 moons medical. So I'm in the process of working out how to actually do a medical practice, but I have this vision for a holistic birth and breastfeeding um, clinic space, because again, there's, there's sacred rituals that we're missing at the altar of birth. um, And it's for everybody. Like I can take parents on shamanic journeys to meet their babies Mm. and then the men will come out crying because they're not able to feel what the woman feels when the baby's turning around in their belly Mm. and to be able to connect with their child, before birth like i mean there's a lot of scientific evidence about perinatal bonding but this is like next level Mm. um and they can go and sit down and have a conversation with their baby and the baby can tell them or reassure them or tell them what it is they need for birth i did one last night with Mm. um a beautiful client and you know that's quite profound so yeah 13 moons medical is um coming into being but i'm doing breastfeeding concerts i can do you know all my magic via zoom as well um, and the other thing is, yeah, the Dr. Danielle, I've got um, which school I've, I've run a course called Medicus for health pre- practitioners, those who work in health. So I had a whole group of people all, all around Australia walking into like ICU with their power animal bats hanging above people. And one woman was taking a crocodile into emergency. Like, you know, there we are people are in the health field are called into it like to priesthood. You know, if we talk about it, it's a sense you, you were healers. We're here to help people. Mm. And it's just how do we operate and do our magic sort of undercurrent and be in the system, but not of the system. Mm. And so the word that came through for Medicus was interpodium, the space between, the place between, the bridge between. How do we act as that? And so that's what I really see myself as the bridge between. And um, so that yeah, it was really, 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 really beautiful. Um, and Ellen of the Ways actually turned up to be like she, her, her statue actually turned up in my house. It was incorrectly sent to me. Um, and it was like, oh, hey, Ellen. Hey. And so she was like one of these and she walks the hidden pathways. And so that was part of she was a bit of a the patron for that work. And the other thing I do is little witch school and maiden school. So I like I so cute when I have all my little witches and I'm doing um, an online um, little maiden school as well, because I want them to start learning about their body, because I, I think we're so disconnected from how cool and amazing the science of our body is, but also connecting to your magic and to, you know, the other world. I can't tell you how cute, like during COVID, 
I had um, a little witch school I ran and people like little witches from around the world and they're sitting there like little witch hats. And I was just fucking dying because it was so cute. And we'd all say like this little spell online and the earnest look in their faces. Mm. You know, if we can get to children before, you know, the age of seven, when the veils fall over our face again and we no longer believe or adults say there's, it's not real. Mm. If I can still, you know, do that. And there's actually a photo I'm going to share today. Um, I went and did a little witch school birthday party for one of my original little witches who came and she turned eight and she said, oh, mum, I don't think I'm a witch anymore, mum. And she said, oh, and she just messaged me and I said, yeah, for her, I'll come and do a little party. And I think for them to go, like, there's one where I pull this wand out and all their faces are like, what? Like, witches are real? You're a doctor and you're a witch? And it was just so, like, I think that's something, like, it's role modelling. Mm. It's turning around and helping the little ones coming for us. Because imagine if they stood in their power and they knew to rest during their period or they knew their strength and their connection to that. They never disconnected from the power of their wound. So this is it. This is part of what I'm here to do is to really work with um, the young women um, and the young children um, to help them reclaim and remember their magic remember their magic because I, it's not that I don't want them to be in the shadows I want them to have it with them always I've already had my daughter say I can't wait to get my period mum isn't that yeah phenomenal like I was like I have done something right because me growing up no it was like oh my god I can't I don't want that it's a curse like that's what I thought it was like obviously I was raised Christian as well so it was taught as a curse on women but to have my daughter not have any of that shame at all. You know, she oh. just, oh, have you got your period, mum? Oh, um, maybe I can get dad to make you a cup of tea. You go sit down. Like she gets it. She gets Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's amazing role modelling. And that's what we need. And that's why I just, I want little children and to know about their cycles and how it connects to the earth and to learn a bit about magic. Because if they've got someone like me who's, you know, outwardly in a position of authority who says it's okay for you to do you want to see fairies let's go mm. let's i take them all on a shamanic journey and they all put little covers over their eyes and they lay like that it's the cutest fucking thing and they stand up i i give them like a little crystal and they put it on their chest and then they they met the crystal fairy and the fairies telling them stuff like that to me is amazing and and it's what we need more of we don't need to be told no we would to be told yes step in it's 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 power and we and a lot of parents i think need to overcome their fears mm. and this is the thing like you know the spirit world you do need to be skilled to navigate this like deeply the spirit world mm -hmm. i mean i've had some experiences with um you know entities i, I was doing a healing once on a, on a lady um and I'm like, la, 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 feeling love and light. And I felt the energy change. My hands were ripped away from my head. And the minute that contact was lost, I think my guides pulled them back because she sat up and she started hissing. And it was like this, like this. And I'm just like, you know, doing an invocation of light. And I basically pulled like this entity from her. Mm. Um, and she said afterwards, I'd felt like every body, every part of my body had black tar pouring out of it. And I didn't tell her what, you know, I, I told her a bit, but not, you know, what I had to pull out. But like I had that skill set in me. But that's what I'm saying. Like if I can teach people how to respect energy and respect spirit and to do it with honour, because there are some spaces that we don't go to. 
And I always teach people how to be safe during a shamanic journey, or if I'm doing it, if they're doing it with me, I hold them space because mm. I've been doing this for well over 30 ish longer years, um, you know, and it, it, it is, and there are things that, you know, so it's just about teaching people to be safe as well um, with the spirit world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think some of what we're talking about as well has slight overlaps with a conversation I had with Mortalis recently on some of the different realms uh, that they've experienced and and a lot of that sort of energy work as well and entity work. So it's really interesting. I think if people have listened to that, you'll understand a little bit more on, on this episode as well and then vice versa as well if you listen out of order, which I can almost never do. If I listen to podcasts, it is from episode one, all the, no matter how long ago it was, all the way through like I can't <laughs> you can't just come in at the end like oh this person's interesting I'll do that yeah, yeah I can I can jump around I can leap from like thing to thing um yeah because they're like episodes mate there is a thread that goes through it but yeah. yeah well I'm like what if I don't understand an in-joke that someone says right like I'm not going to understand yeah. the reference that someone had so I have to <laughs> start which is probably my line one coming out but um yeah very very interesting stuff so and you've also got your podcast which is Indigenous Med Talks is that right? So Indigenous Health Med Talks so that's the other jobs I do so um I'm a senior uh, medical educator and cultural educator so I teach doctors um who are in GP practice about cultural education so that's one job the other job I have is as a national clinical lead for the um, RACGP, the Royal College of General Practitioners. And it's really um, an amazing job because we can influence and improve Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health nationally. Like we can work you know, through practices. Um, and I'm really like proud um, to have that job. And so, yeah, I always work in a way that, you know, is safe and stuff, but it's, it's lovely to be, you know, acknowledged that I'm a healer and, you know, the work I'm here to do. Like, I'm not going to be somebody who's like, I can heal your cancer with my magic. Like, that's absolutely not appropriate. And I saw that in the 90s, actually, like when all the new age stuff was coming in, that a lot of people were, you know, the the snake oil sellers, you know, they're like, oh, I can, you know, give you a cure or something like that. Whereas I'm always very sensible. And I think medicine, you know, has evolved out of magic. Um, and there are times where we do need to have antibiotics or we do need to embrace um, medical um, mod modalities because it can, it is life-saving. And so that's why I feel so honoured to be able to be in the two systems. Um, but, yeah, I really love, I love working with women and, and um, being in that space and breastfeeding. It just makes me so happy and being able to hold space and let women drop in to let their oxytocin and their natural hormones do the thing it wants to do it's amazing beautiful work um the first time we really connected actually and it's what I really liked about you was that sensible practical side because sometimes in this community you can have people that are very anti-medicine um only you know energetic work and then you can have people that are the opposite and they're like don't see any value in energetic work so I loved seeing that, I guess, juxtaposition because I've been following you for a little while, uh, mainly to be like, is this my future doula when I fall pregnant again? But then yes. you were following me back and Toby was going through, um, he was just having like oh, yeah. excessive diarrhea and there was mucus and blood in it and I was really worried and the doctor kept sending me home, the, you know, 
hospital kept sending me home. And then you actually called me. You're like, give me your number. I'm going to call you. And we didn't know each other, but you were just like, I'm really concerned. I think you really need to take him back and get some tests done because it doesn't look right. Um, and I did. And he ended up having, he had salmonella and I had to force them to take a sample to test. They're like, no, 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 it's probably a virus. And I was like, Are you, you're not listening to me. And I was like, I will go and get that nappy out of the bin and I will scoop out the poop so that you can test it, please. And finally, and I think as well, just because I knew that you'd told me and I was like, I have, you know, someone who was a doctor who has told me to take this seriously. I'm taking it seriously. And that was the only way we got it sorted. And then obviously the antibiotics took a few days, but a poor little bubba, just because no one would. Yeah. Do anything. And that's sort of thing. I think, yeah, I, I really do. You know, there's such an amazing place for, and I'm, and, and I'm honored, I'm honored to be a doctor and I'm honored to be able to um, understand that system. And then, you know, and that's, that's why, like, I love just sort of niching a little bit more into this women's women's business and, and decolonizing perinatal health mm-hmm. um, and understanding, like really appreciating the mother baby dyad. So one of my, um, I have a tattoo of a little dugong, um, which is one of my totems through this, um, you know, our original, our non-adopted Torres Strait Islander lineage. It's one of plus snake. And so they were the magicians, like the, the magic makers. And I've always had this snake tatter, tattooed on my arm that goes around all the moon cycles mm. to represent women's business and, and the blood altars we stand before. But like the little dugong tells us about, um, you know, this notion of, you know, spirit was talking to me and I, I really want to develop a cultural um, breastfeeding course mm-hmm. and Meba Ma, which means moon mother in my language, she came through to me and she was like a real goddess. It was just like, she came through and she's telling me all this information. And one of the things was about um, lactation song lines and how we can journey. So song lines is a concept that's, um, you know, follows the later lines or it's like a song line, you know, song line is a song line. It's a, it's a journey through different landscapes telling, you know, dreaming stories and those particular points along the way. And I was showing this notion of lactation song lines and how the breast milk can flow across the earth. And it's very healing um, for the earth. And there's like particular magic that I won't go into now because it's still sort of evolving and showing itself to me, but dugong was a big part of it. And dugong and um, represents because they breastfeed their little bubbies and they are the mother baby dyad. And we can't treat mothers and babies separately it's the fourth trimester energetically they're still connected to you so if i do a post uh, holistic pelvic care treatment after eight weeks um postpartum for women it helps realign like the birth energies and um helps realign like the uh, myofascial sort of compartments of the uterus um i'm treating the, i can see the baby responding to the energy as well if they've bought the bubby like the bubby might start moving really slowly um fall asleep with the gentleness of it you know, they really react to mum. And so that's, you know, it's so important that we treat people like this. Um, the mother baby dyad is yeah. treated together. Um, and so that's where I'm really excited about the medicine I do is moving more towards that. And there's a lot of evidence now coming out around prolonged skin to skin, improving like long-term mental health um, for mothers and babies. It has a lot of breastfeeding is, you know, this is the thing. And I'll tell you this real quick, because I'm a... Um, I, I studied and um, passed my IBCLC, so I'm a international board certified lactation consultant. But when I was studying that, I had to keep pausing and going, oh my fucking God, like we literally, our breast milk 
if they knew what our breast milk could do, we would have been burnt doubly over as witches. Like we talk about our womb being our power. Breast milk is literally alchemy. It changes every moment, every day. We've got these amazing like little <clears throat> saliva receptors on the end of our nipples. So when the baby comes on, it goes, it goes, absolutely. And it goes and creates like the antibiotics. So it creates the medicine for your baby. Um, and there's all the way that the nutrients parcels up and packages and gets into the breast milk blows your mind like your mind you i'm like i had to keep throwing my pen down and go i'm done okay because it's like uh, it's not simple it's like this profound complex arrangement um it's like this little factory working overtime parceling little packages up shipping out what's next come on guys what's on the you know it's fucking amazing mm. so so this is what i'm saying we are magical and we change every moment every day mm. we hold the magic of life death birth rebirth in our bodies we create life if you go back and look at how they used to think we felt pregnant you know gallon and all these like amazing old men physicians you know they had this idea that there was a prefabbed baby in there and so basically when the penis came in it like cracked it and then that's how the baby was like in in throat. like all these weird things because they had to be part of it whereas we are the hold the cauldron we are like magic i know it's an honor the research that's come out saying that the egg chooses the sperm. Yeah, yeah. Which I it's think it's been is- around for a couple of years. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, pass. Yes. Pass. You bad. You get in. Get in. Get Which on that. I think for so long, I mean, I was taught that it's the fastest sperm and the best sperm gets in there and it's it's kind of like the man, it gave power to, I guess, the, the men in that scenario. But, um, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. But this is, this is the trick, right, as well. So egg meets sperm. We create a little zygote. It comes floating out. We've got, like, these really cool little fimbres, like these little finger-like projections that are on the end of our fallopian tubes, and it pulls the watery energy towards and this big, like, developing zygote, little baby going under these chemical processes comes floating along. The minute it reaches your fallopian tube, the baby will start receiving chemical messages from the baby, from the mum. So that's the very, at the point of conception, you're starting to communicate with your baby, letting them know what sort of environment they're coming into. So then the baby will start upregulating or downregulating their gene profile to survive mm-hmm. in the uterus. So at that very point of conception, minutes after, the baby is receiving information from you. And it's the same as the process of labour, like your the baby's brain um, starts receiving messages and the, the baby's brain puts out like little chemical receptors as well. And so it's synergistic. We're always, so at the point of birth, we're a dyad. Mm, it's so cool. It's so fascinating. Oh, mate, I could talk about it forever. If people want to uh, get in touch with you, uh, work with you, how can they do that best? So I'm, <clears throat> I'm currently building my 13 Moons Medical website. So right now you can come through uh, Dr. Danielle Arabina through my Instagram socials or <clears throat> my email, which is through my website. So Dr. Danielle Arabina. Um, yeah, so you can just reach out and find me there, but I yeah, can do um, Zoom consults. Um, I can do healings. Um, I'm going to be running some online like magic, you know, shamanic experiences, um, drumming circles, virtual moon temples, because people go, I can't get there. Um, and I plan, I, I'd stopped witch school. I ran a witch school uh, for five days and you come and have this profound sort of transformation and activations. 
um, I'll probably look at starting that again um, next year. I just had to wait for this year to play out with all my jobs and work out how I'm doing life. But yeah. Awesome. And I'll be going to your Samhain Moon Temple for sure. Um, looking She's yeah, hanging out in the dark, the uh, the underworld. Yes. With a couple of the, the dark moon, which is just like throwing shit around, tipping tables. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm very excited. So yeah, um, I'll pop all the links in the description box below if people want to get in contact with you or learn more about you or follow you on Instagram because uh, you are a powerhouse of knowledge and information in so many different ways. It's really wonderful to watch you do your work in the world and share your wisdom and share yourself. It's really, really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, love. And, 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 you know, reciprocating, I'm holding a reflective mirror back up to you because um, the work you do, one of my um, students, I said, oh, I was, Hannah, um, this chick called the suburban witch or something is going to come to like, and she just lost it. She's like, oh my God, what? Really? What? Is she coming? Oh my God. And like, she was fangirling. I'm like, settle down, mate. Come on. She's like, oh my God. So I love it. I love that uh, we exist. What a time. Yeah. What a time, hey? It's very cool. It's very cool. No, I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time, your energy, and your magic with us all. Um, if anyone nice. would like to get in touch with um, either of us, obviously all of the links are below. And we will catch you next time. Thanks for joining thank us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Oh, my goodness. That was such a wonderful episode with Danielle. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like a little bit more of a taste of Danielle's magic, she has actually created for us a shamanic drum journeying session. This session is available over on my Patreon to anybody. So you don't even have to sign up as a Patreon. It is a free for everyone one. That's just where it's hosted. So definitely go and check that out. There is a link in the description box below for you to access that meditation. There is a little caveat. Don't do it when you're driving, operating heavy machinery, all that jazz. Find a quiet moment in your day that you can dedicate to trying this journey in order to relax yourself and journey into your body and see what messages it may have for you. Enjoy. <laughs>